What's the worst tattoo you've ever seen? I always think it's stupid when people get tattoos that are like, or they're like, they get, they get drunk and they go get like, whatever tattooed something, like some silly cartoon character. Like just, <laughs> but I guess they see this isn't fair anyway, because it's, like, my whole it opinion is like, right. do whatever you want. I don't care. I might think that you have bad taste, but I also might think that your shirt's stupid. Like, <laughs> That's also true. And you true. have a terrible haircut. That's you know, like, also true. Yeah. I'm still going to think those things, yeah. but when it comes down to it, I'm not going to be like, you're not allowed to wear that shirt. <laughs> right, right. Like, I wouldn't want anyone to be cliche in their choices in any way. This is Charles. And this is Rachel. From BNV Radio, this is Design Goggles. One of the least talked about corners of the mainstream design world is body art, but that's changing. Thanks to more than a few popular TV programs and Instagram feeds, body art, including tattoos and piercings, have never been more popular. In fact, nearly 40% of Americans between 18 and 29 years old have at least one tattoo. Tattoos and the artists that create them are finally being recognized and welcomed into the creative community like never before. That being said, it hasn't been an easy path to widespread acceptance. Around the world, and even still here in the US, there's an incredible stigma surrounding body art. Having a tattoo, visible or otherwise, gives nonverbal cues that are oftentimes unfairly negative. The self-expression of art and design is a widely recognized part of the human condition. So why is body art still so controversial after tens of thousands of years of tradition and a resurgence of popular acceptance? What's next for tattoo art and design and how can we further integrate body art into other design disciplines? To help us answer that question and more, we're excited to have with us Christy Lillard, owner of Laughing Buddha, a tattoo shop here in Seattle. Christy, thank you for making time to sit and chat with us. Thanks for having me. Are you a Seattle native? No, I grew up in Missoula, Montana. Montana. When did you move to Seattle? 2001. Oh, wow. That's so that's like day one of the Seattle revolution of like, of like <laughs> Is it? tech. And like, we ask a lot of our guests, like when they came to Seattle and the people who came in the early 2000s tend to have like the, okay, here was Seattle before Amazon thing or before Amazon became like a South Lake Union, like a cultural revolution, not just a company. Where did you live when you first moved here? I moved to Mount Lake Terrace. Not exactly the heart of the not city. The heart, but... Not the heart of the city, but that's okay. Beautiful place. Yeah. You work in Capitol Hill now. Did you live in Capitol Hill before you worked there? I did live in Capitol Hill for years and years, but it was before I was with Laughing Buddha. I was working at a place called Apocalypse Tattoo. How have you witnessed Capitol Hill change since you first started? I have an unpopular opinion about the changes <laughs> on Capitol Hill. I actually really, really love to see things change. And I love innovation. And I love to see progress. So when all of my friends are heartbroken that bars are closing and buildings are being torn down, and I do appreciate the history, and I love it when the facades of old buildings are saved. But I love seeing it. I love modern design as well. So... I think it's exciting and it's changed a lot. Oh, yeah. No, it's super refreshing to hear. And we talk about mm -hmm. all that all the time. I mean, mm -hmm. being architects, we obviously thrive on being able to change and reshape the world. Mm -hmm. But we understand that's scary to some people. But it's encouraging to hear that there are people out there that are excited by it, not just scared by it. <laughs> you know, now you have almost a mini empire of tattoo shops. But when did you first come to own your own shop? And what was the experience like going from being an employee to an owner and an owner to an entrepreneur? Well, I worked in, I think, five tattoo studios before I opened my own. And they were all really great overall. But I always had ideas about how I could do things a little differently. So I had a notebook where I kept notes about what I would do differently. 
how I would do things. And then in 2009, I opened Damask Tattoo and it was literally me by myself in a basement underneath a restaurant. It was a commercial space, but it was a basement under a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Some of the best things in the art world happened in basements under restaurants. Mm -hmm. True. Wasn't that like the Studio 54, like the secret room where all the celebrities hung out was literally like a basement storeroom? Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was exactly like that. <laughs> it was like, it was that yeah. cool. <laughs> so you also renovated your own space, like we, with your hands. Yes, we moved Damask Tattoo. <laughs> We've moved it three times and expanded it once. And my husband and I have done the renovations and remodels ourselves. He helps when he can. He's got a full-time job. So it's mostly me. The first time we moved, actually, he did almost everything because I needed to tattoo. Mm. So I was working the whole time. Go figure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I worked the whole time tattooing while he painted and such. We didn't need to move any walls or anything there. So it was fairly simple. And then the next time I was tattooing, but not nearly as much as before. So I was able to do a lot of the renovations and the expansion I did nearly on my own with a little bit of help from my husband. And then with Laughing Buddha, as you know, I did most of it by myself. (laughs) I I witnessed all of it. Impressively, I might add. And then uh, (laughs) Sea City was your most recent project. So I purchased Laughing Buddha in 2015. It had been around for about 20 years. And then Sea City, I purchased about a year ago now, and it had been around for about 20 years. Man. Yeah. So we moved Laughing Buddha, so we got a little bit of a fresh start, but we just did kind of a facelift at Sea City, which I did, again, nearly by myself, but I had more help at Sea City. Nice. Yeah. We were just talking about before the show, there seem to be so many people in Seattle that have tattoos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before I did the research, I didn't realize, I mean, I knew it was much more prevalent than previous, but the statistic of 40% of Americans between 18 and 29 is crazy. When we first met, I remember you showed me a video of a tattoo artist who talked about how personal tattoos can be and how they can be very much about telling a story about how we've changed and the things that happened to us. And it, in a very positive way, challenged notions about tattoos I didn't even really know I had. I mean, I grew up Jewish. In the Jewish community, tattoos are extremely looked down upon. It's like a really, really big deal. You're just taught from a very young age, we don't do that. And they even make up like little myths about why. They're like, oh, if you get a tattoo, they won't bury you in a Jewish cemetery. Or just, you know, we we had the Holocaust. That's too, you can't get a tattoo. It's like that. But in the end, I know plenty of people who grew up Jewish who get tattoos now. Growing up, it was like that book is open and closed. It's just like, oh, that's something we don't do. And when you showed me that video, it really got me thinking, not just about getting a tattoo personally, which I haven't done yet, (laughs) but just about how many misconceptions there are about what tattoos mean and why people get tattoos. When people come in, especially, let's say, for their first tattoo, are they only really talking about this is what I want and where I want to get it? Or are people having larger conversations about what they mean? I think that the TV shows have encouraged people to talk a lot more about what they mean. I don't know about the shows now because I haven't watched one in years. <laughs> but yeah. I know back when I did watch some of them, the people would talk a lot about what the tattoo meant. So that sort of changed our jobs where before we would talk about the design and placement and then they might tell us what it meant while we were doing the tattoo. And now a lot of the times people will tell us right off the bat what it means. One of the interesting things about the way you set up Laughing Buddha in particular was you have sort of a, I don't remember what you called it. It's kind of like an interview room, but you were very thoughtful about that initial consult and those conversations potentially being really personal. 
Can you share with us a story or two of what that's like when those initial consults are confidential personal things that somebody wants to talk about? A lot of tattoos are memorials. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes people, even if they don't mean to tell us what it means, they end up telling us what it means. There's tears sometimes while they talk about their lost loved one, whether that loved one be human or a pet. Crying is very contagious to me. <laughs> so when people would talk to me about their tattoos like that, if they cried, I'd cry. Aww. And I'm saying past tense because I retired from tattooing five years ago when I bought Laughing Buddha. But there's that in that they might cry while they're talking about what it means to them. And then there's also the other side of that, which is reclaiming their own bodies. So they may be going through divorce when I was tattooing, because I had a private studio and because I'm a woman tattooer, a lot of the times women would come to me and say, I just don't want my husband to know what I look like naked anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so we would do a tattoo somewhere that's covered by clothes so that he doesn't know anymore. Huh. Or, of course, in the more heart-wrenching situation, something terrible had happened to their body. And mm. so they were reclaiming their body mm. by putting a symbol on it or words mm -hmm. or any given thing that you might get a tattoo of to take control of their body back and own it again. So the story I told is a little very specific to a specific people. But before the show, we were talking a little bit about this. I had asked Rachel, like, what's the worst tattoo she ever saw? And Rachel showed me a picture of Ben Affleck's back tattoos. And even during our conversation... <laughs> I found myself like I was saying, oh, but Ben Affleck's kind of a mess, so it kind of makes sense. And, and like, but the funny thing and is, let the record state, like, I would have to look at that tattoo more carefully. I don't mean to be unfair I mean, on Ben Affleck. I have not seen it in person. True. It might be well executed. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> Has something gone right or wrong in your life if you're in the presence of Ben Affleck's naked back? For you? <laughs> For anyone? <laughs> I don't know. It's a, that's a big question. <laughs> Next week, we're going to talk about, about <laughs> what are the presence of Ben Affleck's back? What do yeah. you do? What do yeah. you say? No, but, but my struggle with answering that question, though, was because I wasn't sure if I was able to separate my memories of terrible tattoos from seeing them in real life mm -hmm. or seeing them in movies and it being some sort of joke part of the plot or something. Maybe it's just because living in the Pacific Northwest, like most of the tattoos I see are really beautifully done. And I feel like you don't see as many, at least in my life, I don't see as many like tattoos that seem kind of like drunk mistakes or something like that. Right. You know, kitschy little things that weren't thought through. Most of them seem like they're thought through. Why do you think the stigma still exists and so powerfully, even in the United States? I think it was just a really, really powerful stigma. Hmm. And it was true for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely not anymore. I think that for people in the industry, and I got into the industry right when that was changing at least a little bit. And that's part of the magic, I think, for us in the industry is that it used to have that stigma and that history and you got tattoos to show you were tough. Right. And now that's not always the case. In fact, I think that that's probably the rarity now. But I think it's still the stigma because it's just part of the culture. And I think that people don't understand. So, of course, you fear what you don't understand. I think a big part that people don't understand is how expensive they are. Right. I mean, well, to have them done well, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. To have them done well. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. very expensive. I was doing a little bit of research and like a lot of the first things that come up are like, don't go to a tattoo artist that says any of these 10 things. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> and there were like a lot of them. And I was like, oh, my God, what are people doing? <laughs> totally. 
scary. That's scary. I always telling Rachel before the show, like I have trouble committing to what shirt I'm going to wear in the morning. And that's something I can take off and change. Yeah. So like for me, it's a commitment <laughs> thing. And that's like the block because they're so interesting to me. You know, I'm a visual person, but it's like, wow, the commitment thing is the thing that looms large. Mm-hmm. But the negative connotation and how deeply baked in it is. Sometimes I think maybe it's film. You know, you see a lot in movies. It's like, oh, the straight laced person you meet in the first scene and then they reveal a tattoo and there's like dangerous music plays and you're like, oh, that clearly means this guy is nefarious. Uh, (laughs) It's just like, it just seems so outdated. One thing I will say that was refreshing in the research is that like statistically, it's something the United States is actually the most liberal about in the world, which was shocking to me. It seems like in Africa and Asia and even, well, depending on which part of Europe, it's still much more stigmatized than it is here now. Um, which is fascinating. But apparently there was one early example of it being the luxury elite thing in like the 1800s, which is super cool. Yeah, one of the queens had a tattoo, I think, yes. on her wrist, right? Like a snake. Because it was popular. Uh-huh. Of England. One of the queens of England. Yeah. Oh, there yeah. was many queens. <laughs> there were lots of queens. <laughs> yes. Thank God there still are. Latifah. There's. <laughs> oh, I would just like to say for the record, I want to be my best friend, but she has not written back. So. God. Oh. She's got a she's got a bone up on her. You're responding. It's like you gotta write your own comments, yeah. people. Like if you're listening. Yeah, yeah. Queen, she's like one of our top listeners, Queen Latifah. Can't get enough of the design goggles. Yep. <laughs> that's amazing. Do you think it's something that's continuing to get more accepted, or is it more like a thing that's peaked and now it's falling off a little bit? What are you seeing in the industry? I think it's definitely more accepted. I subscribe to notifications from Google for tattoos and body piercing articles, mm-hmm. and a lot of the articles that I see popping up are, are tattoos acceptable in the workplace? And the answer pretty predominantly is yes. Mm-hmm. So I think it's way more acceptable now. But for kids... I will often ask little kids, are you ever going to get a tattoo? Most of the kids that I'm around have parents that are fully covered in tattoos. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they will often say no. And I'll say tattoos are kind of for old people, huh? (laughs) And they'll say yes. Wow. (laughs) Because their parents and their grandparents have tattoos. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of for old people. So it's hard to say. That's fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) Because it, it reminds me of like a lot of people's first encounter with a tattoo is someone who had a dad or an uncle in the military and they see like the Marine tattoo or something like that, which I mean, depends on where you are in the situation, but a lot of that's a positive connection. Mm. That's fascinating. Yeah. I can't even think of, that's an interesting question. I don't have any memory that I can think of of like the first tattoo I've ever seen on anybody. I remember the first time someone told me they were getting a tattoo. It was like a, some teenager who I was in school with told me he was going to get, oh God, it was so stupid. Tasmanian devil on his. Oh, see, see, that sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, "Are you gonna want that when you're 80?" And he just like shook his head and walked away. (laughs) (laughs) No, I had plenty of high school friends that had tattoos, and it just seemed normal. Although she was like one of my good friends was going to get, she was designing her own. It wasn't her first. And she was keeping it a secret from her parents who were a little bit more on the conservative side of things. But it was not at all uncommon. It was it was just like. Did you grow up in Washington? Here in Seattle. Huh. Yeah. But so yeah. I was just like, I have absolutely no memory of, like it has never seemed like anything out of the ordinary. Right. It was never like, oh my God, what is that thing on that person's skin? Yeah. <laughs> just like, no, there does seem to be something <laughs> specific about Seattle. Even before I moved here, I don't even remember how exactly it would come up in conversation. They were just like, oh man, they're so cool out there. Everybody's got tattoos. 
tattoo. Like that's something ra- yeah. that random people know about Seattle for some reason. Yeah, it just, like, but I can't think back as to thing. what the the signifier of that is. It was just like one of those things. Like, oh, he has a shirt on. <laughs> oh, there's I, a I tattoo. Do you notice that a lot? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that they're wearing a shirt. It's still so fascinating to me that artistic expression in so many ways is something that's celebrated and not stigmatized. And then but the minute you do it on somebody's body, I, I could see how doing it to somebody else, doing it to somebody potentially without their body. permission, yeah. could be controversial. Yes. I meant. <laughs> Maybe it is the commitment thing. Like you're kind of like a badass if you're able to commit to something for that long. Do you think the self-harm aura surrounding it has something to do with the negative connotation? Oh, that could be. Yeah. That you put yourself through pain right. to do something like that. Right. And there is, I think there's a very, very small population of people who get tattoos because they hurt. But most of us don't like actually getting tattoos. We like right. having tattoos. Right. Sure. But I mean, you know, people get ear piercings. It's pretty normal. Hurts. And it's yeah. there's That's no this, real this negative connotations like, there. Uh, right. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Well, because we do all sorts of things that harm us. Mm-hmm. We were talking a little bit earlier about this. It's just like, I realize that tattoos hurt to get. I don't have one. I can understand that they're going to hurt. There's plenty of things I do that hurt myself. It's just not as obvious necessarily. Right. Not and we don't look at women who are, know, like, are people who clearly have a bunch of plastic surgery and go, oh, yeah. whoa, they're oh, my God. Right. You were self-harming. Like, you got that yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like you just ate this Big Mac, like that is really yeah. harmful. Whoa. Yeah, like, <laughs> do you ride a motorcycle too? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Dude, the way you yeah. just binge ate those Big Macs. Yeah. Are you in a gang? Yeah. <laughs> you ate that whole bucket of chicken McNuggets, like. But also piercings. I mean, that's an interesting. Thing yeah, you know, I'm totally using body art. Right Buddha does both, right? Yeah. Is there overlap, or like, what is the Venn diagram between tattooing and piercing in terms of? public acceptance for example i mean I think uh, it depends on like where the piercing things. is right yeah you have your lobes and you have your cartilage and maybe a nostril piercing that's one thing but you have your septum or your lip mm-hmm. like that all of a sudden becomes unacceptable and i'm not really sure what the difference is yeah it's just social mm-hmm. norms yeah. so <laughs> yeah and by culture too because mm-hmm. in different parts of the world like it would be completely totally cool. different to have a little nasal piercing as like a real delicate little thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. We have women elected in Washington, D.C. now with nose piercings. So yes. That's definitely going to become <laughs> more accepted. It's a form of self-expression that doesn't hurt anyone. It's like 100% positive. Well, I mean, you can make a mistake, but I mean, like, anybody yeah. can make a mistake about anything, right? It's, it's like... just yourself. It just That's seems like, like this totally positive thing. Amazing to me that it would have a stigma. Yeah. Well, but I mean, people. <laughs> people are people, just, like, right? really mean to other people for no good reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I'll get in an elevator with a woman carrying a Chanel handbag, and I know how much that costs. Yeah. And my sleeves cost more than that. And she's mm-hmm. not looking at me going, oh, what do you do? You must make good money. I mean, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking that about her, but, like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Humans are judgmental, right? Like, is there any, Very. there's no way that we aren't going to be non-judgmental. I mean, it But I'm going to judge like, your bad haircut the same as I'm going to judge yeah, your bad that's what tattoo. I mean. like, it's everybody's like, going to judge everything and whoever's going to judge whatever they're going to judge is probably even different on a given day. And probably, I mean, if I think about it, it's probably informed by accidental things they didn't mean to. Like somebody that had a Chanel purse like was really mean to them the other day and now they're going to judge this other totally random stranger. So, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. we're humans. We're full of flaws. Like, yes, <laughs> we make bad choices about who we're going to judge or why or when or all these things. And mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, I spent some time in the hospital. Nice things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
at one point and there was a woman in the room next to me and my friends were coming in two or three a day often to talk to me and they're all covered in tattoos and piercings and after a couple of days, she finally just said, you know, I had no idea that I had so many biases against people with tattoos and piercing. Mm-hmm. She's like, but after hearing your friends and how kind they are and how much they care about you, oh. she's like, <laughs> I was totally wrong. Like, <laughs> everybody's been so nice. <laughs> like, I know. We're all teddy bears, oh, but just putting on this facade so Humans that you don't talk to us. Too. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, okay. <laughs> right? Sometimes. Fine. <laughs> Changing gears a little bit. You know, sometimes as designers, we have to talk a client down from doing something that's a mistake. Do you find yourself having to do that as a tattoo artist or did you do your employees? Oh, definitely. Is there like a code of like checking in on somebody? Like if they seem like they're not doing it for the right reasons or peer pressured or something, is there a code of like, hey, let's just ask a few questions and feel this out a little? It depends on the artist. Depends. Some people are going to do whatever walks in the door because they want or need the money. Mm-hmm. And then there's other artists who are going to care about that sort of thing. The thing that came to mind when you were saying that is when a couple will come in and the person who is getting the tattoo is doing less talking than the partner. Mm. We have that a lot in design. <laughs> I bet you do. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, yeah. wait, uh-huh. whose body is this going on? Because uh-huh. that's the person I need to talk to. And when I was doing tattoos, I would even say, like, I need to talk to you without them in the room. Because I need to know that this is what you want and not what they want. And then the bad choices, I'm sure, just like with design, it's like what you want literally will not work. We literally physically cannot do that right? (laughs) or it's not going to last in 10 years. It's going to look horrible. So I'm sure it's the same kind of conversations of just educating people. And once they understand, fingers crossed, they will come around and do it the way that it needs to be done or will look best. What are the things that would just look bad in 10 years? Like, are there certain things that are real known of like, ah, oh, this is just not going to last? What are those? Definitely. Very small lettering. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just, does it just blur out? Yeah, because the ink settles over time. You know, our cells are constantly regenerating. And mm-hmm. the reason that that ink stays in that layer of skin is because it's in between the layers. So it's not going to turn over. It's not like inside the cells where it's mm-hmm. going to turn over. But everything's slightly moving around it. And then the sun hitting it, it just slightly spreads over time. That's why with really, really old tattoos, you can barely tell what they are anymore. So really small lettering will just turn into mud and it'll completely blur. White tattoos are a little bit popular. Interesting. Yeah. And the pigment goes under the layer of skin that has melanin in it. So whatever color your skin is, is going to be on top of Mm -hmm. the pigment or the ink that we use. Yeah. A lot of the times we have to explain that to people like this is not going to show up the way you think it is. It's not going to look like you took white out and put it on top of your skin. (laughs) This is under your skin. It's going to turn yellow. It's going to turn green, depending on the tones that are in your skin. Mm -hmm. So there's (laughs) lots of things that we have to confront head on and let people know. I work with an artist who got three arrows tattooed on her wrist. One in black, one in gray, and one in white, specifically to show people oh, really? how those age. Interesting. Oh, that's cool. And how they look, at least on her skin. Mm-hmm. And you can barely even see the white tattoo on there. And the sun. The sun fades tattoos. Yeah. That could be a selling point for some people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll outline in black if I really like it eventually. Right. <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, gosh, we've definitely had, I mean, I won't go into specifics, but we've had people come in sometimes where it's a couple and I'm just like, have you guys ever talked before? <laughs> Like ever? <laughs> Don't you think that like 
design opinions and like the kind of decor that you like should be something that you talk about on a first date. You would, this is yes. yes, we've literally talked about yes. this on the podcast. If you're ever gonna live with somebody, yeah. like I do not understand. <laughs> like, just get that figured out at the get-go so that yeah. it's not gonna hurt too much when you just find out you're not compatible. <laughs> oh yeah. There were definitely some brief relationships years ago where I like see her apartment for the first time and I'm just like, <laughs> there's no way this is gonna nope. work. There's just no way. I'm like, if that's what makes you happy, I completely respect that, but I need to not be here. Right. And between the lines, you're like, I mean, I don't respect it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, I don't, but like I I'm yeah. contractually required to say you that. do you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same with tattoos. You see a yeah. tattoo and it's like, hey, do you still like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you feel about that now that some time has passed? Well, so that's an interesting question, though. So because like we can do remodels of houses and things. How much remodel opportunity is there to remodel a tattoo? I mean, obviously, it probably depends on the conditions of everything. But for most people, is it like, well, you made that choice? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. So you can do cover-ups, and the only thing that covers black is black. Mm -hmm. So if it's a really, really dark tattoo, you have to do a really dark tattoo over it, which is going to obviously be a cover-up. Mm -hmm. So nowadays, what we like to do is send them to go get lasered. Oh. So you go get laser removal. We work with a place that will actually do strategic laser removal. So if you want to keep oh, part cool. of the tattoo... They will yeah. only remove the parts that you want to be lightened up. Mm -hmm. And then the options open up. Once we have more of a clean slate, we can do so much more. Hmm. So there's lots of options. I've had, I think, six tattoos lasered off and covered up. See, there you go, Charles. You can change your shirt after you can <laughs> yeah, change right. it. Yeah. That's it right. just also hurts really bad. Yeah, just requires multiple appointments. <laughs> yeah. And lasers. And lasers. I mean, the laser thing is appealing in some because cool. I'm just like, that's neat. You're like, ooh, lasers. Yeah, I need that's a cool. laser to do it. <laughs> Imagine if it took a laser to took my shirt off. Like, <laughs> I can't even get this shirt off without a laser. <laughs> Do you find tattoo artists are welcomed into art communities? Now they are, mm -hmm. and here they are. Mm. So I don't know about other areas of the country or the world as far as how much they're accepted in as legitimate artists, but definitely in Seattle. We're accepted, and people recognize that it's art, I think, because it's evolved so much over time. And a lot of tattooers that I know and work with have art degrees, master's degrees. I mean, these are college educated people. Oh yeah. So yeah, I was at an opening last night and somebody was asking me like if architects are a part of that world. And I'm like, we're sort of parallel, mm -hmm. but it's like we're accepted because compared to people who are selling something, we're creating something and we're doing it for money, but it's not the most lucrative thing in the world. Like you still suffer for the art and you still work harder because it's creative and it's personal and it's expression, but it's not pure. To me, body art seems way more of a pure act of self-expression than architecture. So I would be surprised if you weren't accepted into the art world, but maybe outside of Seattle, it's not as Is that maybe because of the problem of the architect's ego? There's a lot of it, obviously, and I think that's one of the things that gives architects a bad name. Like some of the architecture that gets out there that the people that use the spaces don't like, a lot of times it's because the ego of the architect was just like, well, I'm going to do this thing and it's going to be perfect and blah, blah, blah. And I would my say that. opinion is the best opinion and you guys don't know what you're talking about. And that's easier to do when you're doing it on an inanimate object. It's just I know building plenty materials, of tattooers right? that do that. Is there like an ego of, oh and you're tattooing God. somebody else's body? There's and so much ego, ego is, in tattooing. Uh, okay, I would say okay. For, <laughs> I would say for architects, though, those architects would be more welcomed into the art 
communities and less. The ones that are more so ego? Yes, because they are making a bold statement and F the rest of the world and what it thinks, okay. which is more artistic okay. than I'm going to do what's best for the client people. because that's what they're <laughs> asking me to do. That's the antithetical to what pure okay. art is. Yeah. I see. Okay. We're, this well, is a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, this is what we're talking about. Okay, I'll yeah. refocus. That's actually one of the reasons that I retired from tattooing is because I burned out after 17 years of only doing what the clients wanted. Mm. I don't even draw anymore. Oh, that's so because sweet. 17 years, people told me what to draw, and that's what I drew. And yes, yeah. I would make suggestions, and I would use artistic knowledge to make the tattoo work and make it look good on the body because yeah. we're working in 3D rather than 2D. But it completely burns a lot of tattooers out. So it's that thing that you, we joke about it sometimes about like true success is when you have a patron and they're just like, we'll just fund you and you do whatever you want to do artistically. Yeah. Here's the money, do whatever you want. Right. You know, and then that's success as opposed to having to do stuff that you don't really believe in necessarily or you think it's the wrong design choice, but they're your client. Right. They're the one paying know. for it, right? It's going to yeah. be on their body for the rest of their life or it's their building. Mm -hmm. So it is hard to walk that line. Tattooing is changing in bigger cities like Seattle because tattooers are able to focus on the style that they're best at and that they enjoy doing. When I was first starting tattooing, probably the first 12 years of me tattooing, the idea was you need to be able to do whatever walks in the door. Mm -hmm. Sure. So my apprenticeship was like, you have to draw all different styles. As opposed to being a know. specialist in a certain style and people coming to you for your particular style. Yeah. And people are yeah. able to do that more. Is that one of those things that people aspire to, to be that this is my style and people come to me specifically because this is my defined artistic expression? Definitely. Those, yeah. Like life goals, career goals yeah well and we are the best at what we're the best at like in anything that we do yeah so if you like one particular style and someone's asking you to do a totally different style you haven't done that as much because you're yeah. not interested in it you're not as passionate and you're gonna do your best work when you love what you're doing right yeah and you're excited about it mm -hmm. so you want to find a tattooer that's really excited about the style that you want so are there any like i don't know matchmaking services for finding the tattoo artist that like works it's for been attempted quite a few times <laughs> tattoo tinder Yes. <laughs> yes. That's it. We can all retire. Yeah. It's been attempted a few times. There's a few sites out there. And admittedly, I don't know all of them. So there might be, but it's tough because you'd have to get every tattooer in the entire area to, to sign up for it. Yeah. So it's lucky now that we have the internet and we can look at everybody's Instagrams and their portfolios on the websites. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you can make a decision before you ever even have to talk to somebody. When I first started, you just went to every shop and you sat down on the raggedy old couch and looked at an old photo book of all of the tattoos that they had done and tried to just pick somebody that looks like they're pretty good. You know? Oh, man. That <laughs> is terrifying to me. That's why you had to yeah. be able to do anything that walked in the door. Because oh, they didn't find you right. because of the style that you do. Uh -huh. They just went to a tattoo shop. Jeez. I feel like there's so much like that seems fraught with social anxiety and yes. like awkward social situations. I don't know. <laughs> it's just like I'm feeling stressed out just thinking about it. Of like... <laughs> Oh my God, there's so many parallels though with architecture. There really is. You know, we talk all the time. Yeah, well, and we talk all the time about the commitment of just doing a home remodel, like speaking of things that are very important to you personally. And, you know, it could be one of the biggest purchases of your life. And you kind of have one chance to get it right. It's very expensive if you don't get it right. And someone who is not an architect is coming to an architect who may or may not be their style or yep. may not have the experience of that style, but 
they come in and they want something and there's a lot of trust. Like mm-hmm. it's all about trust. And yeah, there's a personality fit. Mm-hmm. Do you have to have a personality fit with who's going to tattoo? Maybe. Depends on the size of the tattoo. Yeah. Oh, how long if you're going to be It's only going to take 10 minutes, then who cares? But if yeah. it's going to be a full sleeve. I would actually not want, yeah, I would not want a personality fit with, with I would want, I, I would want somebody, because I would want somebody who lived and breathed tattoos for 20 plus years, which well, isn't okay. me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just like if I were coming in. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want a doctor who loves Mustangs and architecture. (laughs) I want one who loves doctoring. (laughs) That's a fair point. I think that more recently, like the tattooers that have been tattooing for two or three years are just killing the people that have been tattooing for 20 or 30 years. Why is that? They're way better. (laughs) 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 They're just better artists and the tools are better. The pigments are better. Like the resources that they have available to them now are so much more than we had 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. We were literally going to the library to find reference for tattoos and they can just pop online. Like if we wanted to learn how to do a different style, we had to find a tattooer that was willing to let us sit there. Hopefully we worked in the same shop so we could watch them regularly. Mm -hmm. All they have to do is go on YouTube and watch videos or, you know, reach out. All they have to do is shoot somebody a direct Mm -hmm. message and ask them questions. And they just have so many more resources than we did. Mm -hmm. So they're getting way better, way faster. It's really cool. (laughs) Is entrepreneurship among tattoo artists growing? I think so. I say that reluctantly because once you're a tattooer, you can't really be promoted. Hmm. There's nowhere to go. You work at a tattoo shop, you might be able to get a raise. There's no like master tattooer that tours the other tattooers. Right. It's not (laughs) like you can be like the CEO of the tattoo shop, you know, (laughs) like you're the owner Mm -hmm. or you're a tattooer. Is there any like apprenticeship types? Like, is it that you can become even unofficially like a master tattooer or whatever we're going to use just for the sake of this conversation? (laughs) Right. But and then have people that like come to you to be schooled and brought up under your techniques or well, that's how we learn to tattoo uh-huh. is through apprenticeship but there's not really much more after that it's not formalized really no anything. not that i'm aware of i mean i keep making very definitive statements <laughs> that you know i'm not completely involved in the tattoo world anymore so mm-hmm. <laughs> other than owning three tattoo studios i was gonna say that's but- <laughs> pretty involved <laughs> pretty involved <laughs> and i am going to be going to some expo shows that have like furthering education and stuff I do every year for piercing, but now there's starting to be some really good ones for tattoo. Mm -hmm. But it's pretty much like you're a tattooer and you can get maybe a little bit of a percentage hike and you can further your education if you choose to. But the step up is owner. So that's where the entrepreneurship comes in is that you need to open your own shop to be promoted, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of tragic because a lot of people don't want to be owners And a lot of people don't know that they didn't want to be an owner until they are an owner. Wow. Yeah. And a lot of people look around the studio and think, how much could this possibly cost? Mm -hmm. I bet they're stealing my money. And so then they open a studio and all of a sudden they realize what the overhead actually is. And it's a gut punch. So it's not like just hanging a shingle and making candles. It's like, (laughs) you know, it's the quasi medical area you have to create. And that's not simple. That's a huge barrier. It is a huge barrier. Yeah. No stepladder between doing a thing and owning it. Wow. Yeah. So how did you manage to skip that jump or jump that skip or (laughs) jump the step or climb the ladder? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I was a tattooer. 
and then I owned a studio. So you make it sound so I easy. I just did it. <laughs> yes, before you made it sound next to impossible, and then you're like, "But I did it, and it was simple." <laughs> yeah. Looking back on ten years of owning studios, I had no idea what I was doing, and I had no idea what I was getting into. Like, I hear that from so many entrepreneurs, actually, that like yeah. part of what makes a successful entrepreneur is just like a willful naivete. Yes. Just like, I don't know, everybody says it's super hard, but I just did it anyway. Right. <laughs> Strategic yeah. adaptability. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Good phrase. That is a good phrase. Oh, oh. Now, it seems like you love being an entrepreneur. It just seems like you really relish in getting another shop, making it happen. Do you find it comes easily? Do you have to teach yourself to do it and then enjoy it? Or did you enjoy it from just day one when you were like, I have no idea what I'm doing and just (laughs) throwing things around? Like, what was it like initially versus how it feels now? Uh, I joke that entrepreneurship is a sickness and you either have it or you don't. Right. (laughs) It's manageable. Yeah. (laughs) Right? It is manageable. That's That's funny. My first job was watering lawns, then I was mowing lawns, then I worked for my mom at a taco place when I was 14 because I couldn't wait to work. I just wanted to make money. I wanted my own money because I recognized really, really young that money was freedom. I was always having to ask if I could have things and they said no. And I realized if I had my own money, I could have that thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think I always love it and I call it a sickness because it's a very painful thing to love. That's for sure. Mm. But even sitting on the beach in Miami a couple days ago, I looked across the street at what I thought was an empty building. And I was like, you know, you could start. And I had a whole business plan, like within a (laughs) few minutes. I was like, I'm going to move here and buy this building. I looked up on Zillow how much the building costs. (laughs) I mean, I can't stop thinking about it. I'm always thinking Uh about ideas for businesses or inventions or something. I have the tattoo aftercare brand now, too, that I'm selling on Amazon and in my stores and have a few wholesale accounts. And we're working on adding another product to that. What's it called? It's called Bright Tattoo Aftercare. It's Mm. vegan and cruelty-free and all of that good stuff. I used it on my sunburn this morning, and it was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I really love being a business owner, and it's frustrating, and it hurts, and it's really, really hard. And the longer I do it, the more I realize I don't know. And I completely rely on the people that I work with. I mean, they can do it without me, but I can't do it without them. Right. Yeah, it's funny when I ask our CEO, Jeff, like how he did it, especially in the beginning when it was just like he had no idea. He only had a couple people and he was just like, I just got lucky with the people that I had in the beginning. And like, I don't know how I lucked into these people, but like they trusted me and they busted their butt and like none of it would have been possible. And that's when luck comes into the conversation for him. He's just like, literally, I, no one, I couldn't hire anybody. No one would trust me. And they just decided to. Well, and that's also where some of that conversation about self-harm comes in. Because like, I also own a company, but it's not always very healthy for me to do that. What you go through to make your business succeed Mm -hmm. is often very physically unhealthy for you. You don't sleep enough. You stress out way too much. You do all these things. And yet there's not a stigma on that. Mm -hmm. Like there's all these (laughs) things of self-harm that are stigmatized unfairly when a lot of these other things, you know. I have a theory about this and we're going to go long, but that's cool because I actually find this really interesting. That hustle culture, because I think a lot of the hustle culture thing and the problem is that it is appealing to people who aren't built for entrepreneurship and they're taking it on because it's cool and it's been made cool, Mm -hmm. but they don't really understand what it's going to result in, which is probably nothing most of the time. Like that's statistically (laughs) and they expect it to be definitely something. And my theory is, and I'm curious if you agree, disagree, I'm crazy is that it used to be 
having a job or a career resulted in some sort of agency where you got to have a say in something. And the culture of work as an employee has changed drastically and slowly over the last 20 or 30 years into a thing that you do. And no matter how good you get at your skills or how much you rise, you still have completely no agency whatsoever. And it forces people to just want to be able to do productive work and be able to decide the work they do, but actually don't have an entrepreneurial spirit. That's my theory. (laughs) Well, when you see people standing next to Ferraris and holding champagne and all of this stuff and they're 25 and they say they're a hashtag entrepreneur, then you get this idea that all you have to do is work for a couple of years and you're going to be a millionaire. And that's just ludicrous. Right. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So I think that it will be harmful. And actually, Gary Vee does talk about this, that he's worried about potential suicidal mm-hmm. thoughts and all of that coming into play after a while of this entrepreneur trend. You made me think of two quotes, and of course, I'm going to botch them, and I don't remember who said them, but it's the entrepreneurs are people that will work 80 hours a week so they don't have to work 40 for someone right. else. Right. And then, That's one of my favorites, Gary Vee. Yeah. 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 And then there's another one that I can't remember the first part of it, but the part that resonated with me was that you just start to like the taste of your own blood. I was like, damn, that is so true. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny. So he talks a lot about you have to love failing, right? And you have Mm -hmm. to love it when people criticize you. And like, that's great to say, but not everybody truly has those skills. I can't can't tell you. Dan being criticized. (laughs) Right, right. Oh, it hurts so bad. (laughs) Yeah. And people not liking me. Oh, Who could not like worst. you? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to like someone when they're firing. You. That's so, true. Yeah. That's pretty true. My dad worked for a big corporation and once in a while he'd have to fire somebody. And he would always just, I could tell even as a kid when he had to fire somebody when he came home from it. I remember once there was a guy he wanted to get rid of for ages. And then one day he came home and he had, and he was like, more depressed than he'd ever been Aww. yeah and he was yeah. just like i was like dad this is this guy you wanted to get rid of for a while and he's just like you're taking everything away from somebody everything away from somebody yeah. doesn't matter what you think about that person it's a terrible horrible thing to have to do and something 100 percent necessary for a healthy business right gosh that's got to be hard when i talked to gary v my i don't even remember what my exact question was but one of the things that came up was that firing is the most important thing you can do and mm-hmm. that hiring is guessing and firing is knowing. Mm. Wow. Like Great quote. Like so good. That's yeah, that's good all one. Gary Vee. That's not me. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's true because when you're firing people, you're setting the standard for the whole company. Mm-hmm. So you're showing everyone else like this was not acceptable here. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned just a couple weeks ago. Because before I was always praying like, oh, maybe they'll just quit. I don't have to fire them. I feel so responsible. I'm like, what are they going to do? They just bought a car. Like they're trying to buy a house. Like you were saying, it's physically bad for me to have to fire somebody. And it's not as bad for me as it is for them. By far, it's so much worse for them. Yeah. So that's probably the worst thing that I have to do. Well, so let's, on the other end of the spectrum, what's like the best thing you get to do now that you're an entrepreneur, you've left tattooing behind. What's just the coolest thing about it? Just coming up with ideas. And solving problems. I love coming up with ideas. Like if I could just hire people to just go execute my ideas mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. all day, I yeah. would love to I just- feel like I've had that idea too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, that sounds so familiar. (laughs) I used to say, I I think I'm on a daily basis at 10.30 a.m. It's like, if I had four people, I could get so much done today. Go do the thing. Do this right now. Make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) We're all going to be millionaires. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, I love coming up with stuff and ideas and being creative now in other ways since I don't really make art anymore. Mm -hmm. I love to do the remodels. I hate and love to do the remodels. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you said earlier that you don't draw anymore. I was like, I identify with that so much. I don't either. I used to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I like what I do for a living. I like drawing for clients and stuff. But I like when I pick up a sketchbook at home, it's just like nothing happens. Yeah. It's like it became a tool or a set of tools and not this thing that's so directly connected to my emotions. Yeah. So weird. It's like the military people that have to have like re-entry. Like they don't know how to do their life anymore because they've been told by other people how to do it for years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how to draw anymore. No one's sitting there telling me what to draw. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so true. One day I'm going to have the opportunity to build my own house and I'll just be like, I don't know. I don't know. You need to hire an architect. I think it needs a, yeah, 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 I will. Seriously, I will have to. I just be like, I think it needs windows or something. Somebody told me something about that once. I don't know. Like, it'll just be like. You'll have all these ideas that are impossible. (laughs) That's right. to explain. (laughs) Oh my God, that's great. Wrapping up, what's the thing you'd like to see change the most about tattoo culture and the tattoo industry? I think that we need to realize that we are running businesses. This is not just biker street shops hole in the wall anymore. And we can't get away with things like we used to. So there's a big debate about independent contractor versus employees. And probably 90% of the tattoo and piercing world is still using independent contractors. And that's going to come down on us someday. So I really wish that people would take responsibility for the fact that we're running businesses and that we are also responsible for the health of our clients and that cross-contamination can severely impact people's lives. So clean up like physically so that people don't get infections and don't get any kind of blood transmitted diseases. And then also just start running their businesses like an actual business. Good advice. (laughs) Christy, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us. Thank you very much for listening. Check out Design Goggles podcast on Instagram and Design Goggles on Facebook and Twitter. Also check out our blog on boredandvellum.com. There's always super cool stuff being posted there. And as always, please stop on by Board and Vellum in Seattle anytime for a chat with us. We would love to have you. Thank you again, and we will see you all in a few weeks.